We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Well, we just can't get enough rehashing the Patriots dynasty Perloff. It's still... Holds a lot of intrigue. There's still a lot of secrets out there oh, yeah. and things that we want to uncover and things we want to know about a successful yet very flawed team and how they not only made it to the top but stayed at the top. And there is a new documentary out. It's a docuseries. It's called The Dynasty, New England Patriots. It is directed by an Emmy Award winning director. He's also been an Oscar-nominated producer and editor. His name is Matthew Hamachek, and he joins us now. Matthew, congratulations on The Dynasty. Uh, it's coming out two episodes at a time. It's on Apple+. Plus. Thank you for the time today. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. And, you know, we're big fans of this. We've been talking about it, uh, about your work in the documentary. Let's get into it for our audience. What is the thing about the Patriots and this dynasty that you're the most proud you uncovered or dug deep on? Because, like I said to Perloff just now, we know a lot about the Patriots, yet there's still so much intrigue. There's still so many secrets surrounding that organization. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When I started this, I, I mean, I, I didn't grow up a Patriots fan, so I really didn't know all that much about the team, right? I was a, I had my own team. And so what we realized as we started to get the sort of 70-plus players, front office execs, league officials, rivals, uh, to sit down and start talking is that not knowing a lot about them let us listen and let us mm let their stories come out. And I think the thing that I found was that the one thing that really hadn't been done before in an interesting way is to sort of get beyond the X's and O's and find a way to tell this from the human perspective. And yes, football is obviously a large part of this because it's the thing that drives the the plot of the series along. But the the, the thing that we kept coming back to as we listened to these people talk is a deeply human story and I think you're left in a lot of ways with something that almost feels like, you know, Shakespeare, but with footballs in a lot of ways. So um, I think that, you know, as we shape the story, that's the thing that we found most fascinating. Matthew, who is your team? You're not a Patriots fan? No, I'm a Packers fan. Oh, well, that'd be a good documentary. Yeah, well, we're excited for the next one. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although, Get to work, sir. Although it's going to be tough to match the Patriots. The thing that struck me about it, when you were coming in, uh, there's so many gigantic chapters in the Patriots, 20 years, Spygate, Deflategate, uh, Malcolm Butler, et cetera, et cetera. Did you have an idea what was going to be the focal point? Uh, like, did you know, did you have in your idea, wow, this is one story that I know we're going to hit hard? 
Well, I think, you know, anybody that follows football in any way, shape or form knows that, you know, that there are incredible successes in this team, but then there's also things like Spygate, there's things like Hernandez, there's things like Deflategate. And and yes, immediately anybody you talk to, even when you spend time interviewing people in Boston and, you, and people say, what are you doing up here? And you say, well, I'm working on this thing about the Patriots. I say, well, I sure hope you solve what happened with Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl. But again, you know, the thing to me is how do these stories that are part of the Patriot dynasty speak to the people that are within the dynasty, people that were in the rooms making the decisions that led to these incredible successes, but also what about these people and about what this sport brings out in them also led to this thing unraveling into some of these darker chapters in the story, right? Matthew Hamachek is joining us. He's an Emmy Award-winning documentarian, and he is the director of the dynasty New England Patriots. Because you mentioned Malcolm Butler, let's get into it because there's a lot of a lot of things that we love to talk to you about. So Malcolm Butler is obviously the hero in the Super Bowl against the Seattle Seahawks. Then he plays mm-hmm. Perloff's Philadelphia Eagles, and after playing 98 percent of the snaps all season long, gets stonewalled in that game. Why? Well, I think that. If you talk to most of the people on the team, and we did, we asked pretty much everybody that sat down in the chair who was around or even not around when this happened. And a lot of them don't know. And I don't want to spoil anything for the people that are listening or watching right now, but there is a person who in our ninth episode, when we deal with this, I think gives the biggest hint yet as to the reason why this happened. And I think more importantly, what you start to realize, and this is this is from my perspective, sitting in the chair and talking to the players who are there, is how mentally exhausting being part of the Patriot program was. And I think they all bought into it and and went through that because every year they knew that they could compete for a championship. So, you know, in 16, they went up against the Falcons and uh, this is the, you know, incredible 28 to three comeback game. Right. And so that made everything worthwhile. But the question that sort of lingered was if you go through a season that has this much tension in it, and there was tension in the building, really what the players talk about at least is this incredible tension between Bill and Tom by that point in time, leading up to that Eagles Super Bowl. And then eventually what happens when you lose? Right. What happens when the sort of winning winning cures everything mm. sort of aspect of this story doesn't continue to happen? And there's a journalist that we talked to who was actually in the locker room after the um, Super Bowl against the Eagles and uh, half jokingly, but also half serious sort of says that it almost felt like there was a mutiny within the team after that loss because of how much it mm. how much it meant to them and how they felt as if they had given every one of the players talks about. I felt like I had put my my body everything on the line for this and to not even get an explanation at the time as to why this decision was made. He says, I feel like we got cheated a little bit. And but those, but they uh, won next year though, Matthew. Yeah, no, they did. And, and they, and, and look, that's the thing is part of this, part of this story is sort of how they accumulate more Super Bowl trophies, despite the fact mm. that there's all this inner turmoil as they do it. Right. And that's what makes the story so compelling is not that it's just this simple tale of, Hey, they didn't make it and 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 everything fell apart. 
they were still winning as they continued to go through all of this. You know, it struck me as really interesting, and you mentioned it directly, that Bill Belichick, you said, changed after the third Super Bowl, started to change, how success changed his people. I could see it physically. I was watching early Belichick. I'm like, that's a different person than the Bill Belichick I know, and Brady changed towards the end. Uh, that, to me, I'm sure you could take that to any any sport, any form. People change when they have that level of success. Did you notice when you were looking through the footage that you were different people in 2001 than 2019? Well, yeah. And I think one of the things that we tried really hard to do when we were making this thing is always to make sure that as you're watching it, you can always see the world through the eyes of sort of all of the characters, right? So we never wanted this to be a thing where you 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 said, oh, well, here's a person who's clearly a villain and here's the person who's clearly a hero. You want to be able to watch these people and say... Well, even if I don't agree necessarily with the decision they made, I understand why they did it, right? And part of that involves, you know, humanizing these people. When most of the time when we make documentaries, what we do is we take these very small stories and and people that we've never heard of and you sort of build them up to build up their stories and build them up to be larger than life. But when you take a story like this that people sort of feel like they know really well and these characters that have been built up over time into godlike figures, in a way, you humanize them a little bit more, right? You you make people understand why they're just like us, even if they happen to be going on the biggest stage imaginable. And so, you know, you think of the scenes where uh, we do a flashback in episode one to Bill Belichick as the head coach of the Cleveland Browns, and you get to see him running around and playing with his kids, and as a side of Bill that you've never really seen before, right? And you understand that there's more to this person than just the guy who says we're on to Cincinnati. And and that's important for you to understand because you need to understand where he starts and eventually where he ends up. Because, you know, you don't want to make a series where each episode is its island into itself. You want to have a basically a 10 part movie that arcs over the course of, you know, almost 10 hours. And Matthew Hamachek is joining us. He's the director of the Dynasty New England Patriots. And I think that ties back into what you're talking about, even going back to Malcolm Butler. There was... And Bill asking the players to do everything. Don't talk to the media. Don't give them anything. Don't question me. You know, I, I know what's best for the team. It's always for the team. And then he did something that was not best for the team. And it felt hypocritical. And that's like when some of the veneer starts to come off. But to Perloff's point, they won again. <laughs> they beat the Rams and they got a six Super Bowl. So, Matthew, uh, let's go to the Tom Brady part of this. If you could rank these three things to what most annoyed Brady to least annoyed Brady. I'll give you three things. Uh, Belichick not backing him up during Deflategate, drafting Jimmy Garoppolo, and not letting Alex Guerrero have like full reign of the building. Of course, Guerrero is like Brady's body man. They have TB12 together. He's sort of his, his body guru. From most annoyed to least annoyed on those three things, how would you rank them? You know, what I would say is this. You know, Tom speaks for himself in the documentary. So I don't want to put words into his mouth, but what I gathered from talking to both his family as well as him, and you can sort of watch them talk about this, is that um, I, I, I think the Alex Guerrero thing was was very significant because in the episode that's about to air, episode five, Tom, this is the, the, the first game of the regular season in 08. Tom goes out with an injury. And he's out for the entire year. And what he realizes is that the show goes on without him in the NFL. And, and especially with a coach like Belichick, who can take anything that's in front of him and make something out of it. And so Belichick went 11-5 and five without Tom Brady. And this is as he's facing his football mortality for the first time. And it was at 
that point after that injury started to come back when he said, I'm going to play forever. And his bond with Alex Guerrero really started to um, form uh, to a greater degree than it had in the past. And on the other side, you have this coach who's always sort of saying, um, I'm, I'm looking at the data and the data says at a certain age, every quarterback falls off of a cliff. So there's this inherent tension there. Belichick's ready to move on to the next thing. And, and Tom is trying to basically hold on to something until he's 45 years old and he's determined to do it. And so, you know, I think when Alex, you see Tom talk about this in the documentary series and talk about it in a way that he really never has before, how much it, to say, to say frustrated is putting it very lightly, that Alex was essentially had his privileges revoked from the team. And that is part of that 17 season that leads up to the Eagles Super Bowl. I think when you combine that with this idea that Tom in, and the Garoppolo stuff sort of folds into this, but Tom has always been somebody, at least in his mind and of his family's mind and his friend's mind, has always been somebody that's been looked over, whether mm. it was at Michigan, whether it was the 199th pick in the draft, whether it was this idea that there was this guy coming in who was going to replace him. People have constantly doubted him. And at the same time, Tom has always been willing to subjugate his ego, right? He's always been willing to, to, you know, in one journalist's mind, sort of be the punching bag for Bill Belichick. And then at a certain point in time, and a lot of people talked about this as sort of after that Eagle, uh, the Falcon Super Bowl, where he comes back from 28 to three, he's already served his four game suspension for Deflategate, that there was this shift, right? That, that this guy who had been willing to always do what was best for the team, who always willing to subjugate his ego, that perhaps he changed after that. And so, like I said, the things that make up this series, yes, football is a part of them, but they're really not about football. It's about the, the people that are in the story and how they interact with each other. Okay, so it'd be Guerrero one, yeah. Jimmy G two, and then three would be not yeah. backing him up during Deflategate. We're talking to Matthew Hamachek, director of the Dynasty. Uh, incredible breadth of interviews. So many people, including my good friend Tom Curran, gets a lot of airtime. He's wonderful, as always. Who said no uh, to doing interviews? Or, or did anyone say no? Not anybody that we were, I mean, I don't think anybody did actually that yeah. I can think of. There's a lot of people that are on the cutting room floor who gave incredible interviews. Rodney Harrison, should we gave an incredible three hour plus long interview and most of it's on the cutting room floor. Uh, you know, people like Rex Ryan, who get, who's obviously one of those entertaining humans, you know, that's ever walked onto a football field, gave a great interview. Uh, that, were you able to find the equipment guys yeah, who were involved in deflator? Did, did we get the deflator? I uh, know, and and you know the interesting thing is I never really tried. Uh, they they were obviously interesting people. Again, if we were making sort of an investigative piece that was a did they or didn't they or you know something closer to that. But with Deflategate, the story to me as I started to talk to these people and look into this archive, and I, it was that this question of did he or didn't he do it was overshadowed by sort of the spectacle of of it and so what i mean by that is i found this piece of archive with our incredible team people and and what it is is it's one of the national morning shows and it starts out and it says the lead story today is the continuing saga in the court battle over you know deflate gate and whether tom brady will serve his suspension and then and then they say, and in other news, ISIS has beheaded another hostage. Oh, God. Right? And it became <laughs> this thing that consumed people on every level to the point where Jackie Mack, one of the great sports journalists, 
says, did he do it? Probably yes. But what in God's name are we talking about here, <laughs> right? And 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 it became something so much bigger than two pounds of air pressure in a football. And and the question is, to me, is in a way we turn the lens on the audience and myself as somebody who at the time was, you know, we were all laughing at the courtroom sketches of Tom Brady and things like <laughs> yeah. that, right? We all enjoyed all of that. We consumed it because we have a very interesting relationship in our country with fame and success. And we we sort of want to take the underdog and build them up. And then the second that we have, we also want to see them fall just as quickly. And that's part of the story that, again, gets into something a little bit larger than just the X's and O's or the, you know, the PSI levels of footballs. All right. I would just ask one quick football question, Matthew. I know. Yeah. Put on your football hat. I watch. I watch all of it. I still don't understand how this team won six Super Bowls. I mean, the Randy Moss year, yes, and they didn't even win. But the rest of it is a bunch of seven-yard slants to James White. How is this team go 14-2 and two and win all these Super Bowls? They're not more – I know Michael Jordan. I could watch that dynasty, and they were he was dunking on everyone's head. The Patriots, it's such a thin margin. How they had this sustained success, even after watching it, it's still amazing to me. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that, that what made this team so unique is that – they they never cared about things like how they appeared uh meaning nobody was ever nobody brady was never saying well i'm gonna master how to do a no look pass because it's gonna look great on tv right he was always willing to do that the least sexy thing if it got them to win right and that's sort of what the story starts out as is a group of people who come together and selflessly say whatever it is that's going to make the team better we will do we're not going to worry about anything else and that helps sustain this this incredible run for almost 20 years. And then very slowly, the things that were sort of the foundation of this team and what led to their success on the football field, they start to crumble towards the end. And that's ultimately what pulls them apart. And, um, you know, as a fan of football, the thing that always struck me about this team is that it really is exactly like you said, it's the intangibles. It's the things that you just can't really see that actually allowed them to continue to win. And they did it in what a lot of people sort of say is almost an unremarkable fashion, right? It was sort of this cold hearted, we're going to, we're going to get on the football field and do what we need to do and go to work every single day. And as somebody said, they 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 really weren't inviting you to a party the way some other teams do. There really was no party. I'm quoting a, a journalist who said that. Um, but that's part of I think was probably frustrating for a lot of people about watching the Patriots is you could they they sort of always kept you at arm's length. You never really know who they were, and letting them sit there and tell me and now the audience the story is sort of what makes this unique. Well, Matthew, you sat down toe-to-toe with Bill Belichick yeah. and you lived to tell the tale. At one point, he calls you out like, I'm not answering that, Matt. I mean, Bill cuts an intimidating figure. I can't imagine that was very fun to interview that man. I don't know if fun is the right word to describe interviewing. Well, you know, <laughs> you know interviewing, interviewing Randy Moss is fun, I guess. But um, <laughs> it's, fa it's fascinating. And, you know, look. Yeah, Bill's an intimidating figure, but here's the thing. In the episode that just aired, the 2007 season, where they go undefeated and then eventually 18-1 and against the Giants in the Super Bowl, uh, after they played the Redskins that year, the score was, um, I believe, you know, 45 to nothing in the fourth quarter, and Belichick had the, and the Patriots had the ball. 
you know, uh, it was fourth down in any other situation, every, any other team would have probably kicked a field goal, but uh, they went and scored the touchdown. And afterwards, a, um, a reporter said, well, what do you want me to, what, uh, why'd you do that to Belichick? And he said, well, what do you want me to do, kick a field goal? And so my approach to Bill was sort of similar. It was, you know, everybody else had to answer all these hard questions. Why would Bill be any different? And you just have to, you know, you just have to ask him questions just like he's anybody else because, that's sort of the approach that he had with everybody he went up against is, is um, you know, he never took it easy on anybody. So I sort of felt like the way to respect him is to be tough with him. We're up against a break real quick. Does, does the documentary answer the question, who's better looking, Jimmy G or Tom Brady? My <laughs> wife weighed in last night. She's okay, what did she say? Team Jimmy G. I couldn't believe yeah. it. 2016, I think they were both peaking, by the way. That is, <laughs> that is the height of the Patriots' good-looking dynasty. Hey, look, the question is, how does Tom Brady keep getting looking better every year, right? He's That's your next person. investigative like, piece. Ben- <laughs> it's Benjamin Button right there. He's aging in reverse. Yeah, I think I think we we probably know the answer to that. Um, by the way, Drew Bledsoe, also not a bad looking mm. dude who starts off the documentary. <laughs> so it's actually been a, a dynasty of handsome quarterbacks that the Patriots have had as well. Uh, Matthew Hamachek, congratulations. We both love it. It's great. Uh, the Patriots kicked my team's butt for 20 years, and I still like watching it. So that's a kudos to you and your team. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Appreciate that. And you can watch it on Apple TV+. Plus. Wow. A vote for Drew Bledsoe. 6'4", bit like a... Greek God. Well, he ended up being a Bills quarterback too. Yeah, yeah. No, didn't really get him on the good side of that. He was great. He was really great in the documentary. He is great in the documentary. Yeah, really honest. The human side of that, and that today, you know, there's a couple things here, right? About obviously, you and I look at this through like a media lens Mm -hmm. a lot of times, and there's a couple things today that just would have been so. They were big then. And they would just be huge now. Yeah, with Twitter, oh my god. One would one is the Belichick, uh, the Bledsoe, and getting benched and coming back. Oh, and it was yeah. big then. Don't get me wrong, it was big then. But also, just idea of Belichick sticking with Brady once Bledsoe got hurt and then came back. Yep. How and and that Super Bowl week was crazy. And then the fact yeah. that Bledsoe came in to beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh in the AFC Championship yeah. game, and they still went back to Brady for the Super Bowl. But they didn't know until right before the Super Bowl. Like the whole media was kept guessing. By the way, I was at the Spygate game. And, oh, you were. I was at Season that game. opener. I was at that working for Sports Illustrated. Yeah. We had no idea against the Jets. <laughs> I was at yeah. the uh, David Tyree game, and I was at the Ravens playoff loss, which I saw the other day with you. Yep, you and that I were was there. great. I was Lee at the, Evans. Yeah, uh, I. Is that the Lee Evans catch? I can't remember. No, there were two of them. There were two. No, it was the one where Ray Rice ran for seventy yards on the first play. Oh, that was like the third. Ray Rice also converted like a third and thirty-two or something on the ground. There's a couple different ones. I think it was the first play from scrimmage. Ray Rice blew out a hole. Maybe. I was also. I think you and I were at the Texans blowout loss together. Uh, I mean, blowout win. They killed Houston, made it uh, to Foxborough, and they they wish they hadn't. (laughs) It went real bad. Well, you and I were at the Tebow game together. Oh, wow. That was a blowout when Tebow was playing for Denver. Yeah, and it's also all, this is all our friends, this entire documentary. Tom Curran, Albert Breer, Peter King. It's like, who's who? I was looking for you the entire time because there are a lot of talking heads and you get into a lot of these documentaries, Maggie. 
when you do a daily show for 10 years, you at SI, yeah. Yeah, you you do headlines a lot. I couldn't find you yet, but I haven't watched every episode. So I hope you're you make the cut. I hope you're in there. Ah, uh, you know the world will go on even if I'm not there. I always have the Johnny Menzel doc. 855-212-4 CBS 855-212-4227. Uh coming up the college quarterbacks eligible for this draft. What we're going to see at the combine, not from necessarily Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels, but the other guys who are going to be going in the first round. We'll tell you about them next. Maggie and Perloff, CBS Sports Radio. All right, this portion of the show is brought to you by Wesley Financial. Stuck in a timeshare and want out? Contact Wesley Financial Group now and get a free timeshare exit information kit at wesleyfinancialgroup.com. My X's and O's strategic theory. Welcome back to Maggie and Perloff. Why did Patriots dominate so much? Not because of Tom Brady. Right. As we just had the director on yeah. of the dynasty. Yes. Not, right, sorry, yeah, not because of the defense was so sound and really good, a lot of stars. I watched the documentary, The Dynasty. All 10 parts, one thing stood out to me. Tom Brady had such a good offensive line. He had so much time, and that's because their coach, Dante Skarniecki, was amazing. And they could draft offensive linemen anywhere and build a wall for Tom Brady. I think that was a big part of it. Then he retired in 2019, and the whole thing fell apart. So I do. I didn't see a lot of Dante Skarniecki, but I think... One of the reasons Brady was so successful because he got rid of the ball fast and the offensive line was so great. You can never just take out Brady. So I think that was was frustrating your Bills and your Jets and all these teams. It was really hard to get to Brady. I, that was one thing that stuck out. There were a lot of highlights where Brady was just sitting back there, just looking at everything, looking at everything, looking at everything. To me, that was one of the major distinctive things about this Patriots team. Uh, yeah, what's interesting about that is sometimes they would start off the season and the, and the offensive line wouldn't be very good. And it's like they would get better as the year went on. I also think it's that Brady helped them so much. I'm No disrespect to Damian Woody and is a great Matt Light. Like, he had really good offensive linemen, but I – I think that Brady really helped. Like, I, don't, uh, I don't think so. You have yeah. like the, because like what's a classic Brady drive until they got Randy Moss and he basically says, all right, just go deep, Randy, and I'm just going to find you. A classic Brady drive is yeah. just five yards, seven yards, yeah. QB sneak, five yards, hand the ball off. It's it's never anything pretty. That's And that's what the director, Matthew Hamachek, said is part of the reason why it's like an unremarkable dynasty. Maybe I'll disagree with that. The way they won some of these Super Bowls and lost some of them were so unbelievable. Last second, you know, plays. I think it's remembered as an exciting dynasty, but like the X's and O's oh. of how they got to the playoffs was never exciting. They were so robotic. Yeah. Um, they were the Spurs. Yeah. Uh, but the, but one the thing, Super Bowls were always exciting. I did watch the episode in the Castle year. Castle would have like three pump fakes and then hit a wide receiver 11 yards. Like they were protecting him so well. He mm-hmm. talked about that. Uh, so anyway, it's just a theory on my, I love Dante Skarniecki. You hear about him. He's talked about in these elevated hush yeah. tones as the ultimate position coach of all time. I think that was a big deal. Uh, the year 2007 when Brady threw 50 touchdowns, that was just, they were untouchable. Still can't believe they lost to the Giants, by the way. I mean, you look at Giants. I still, I don't even understand. I watched the highlights again. They were 18 and 0, (laughs) 18 and 0, and they got their butt kicked. It is still crazy NFL history. That's why it's the most highly rated thing on television. It doesn't make any sense, and it's great fun. Andrew Bogus has headlines and maybe some gloating. 
No? Nah, okay. we'll be a gentleman here. Uh, the Toronto Raptors are 22 and 36, three and a half games away from the play in tourney. Apparently, their biggest problem is being a bunch of eight year olds. The Raptors just earned a pizza party from head coach Darko Ryakovich for their first three game winning streak of the season. The story goes that I uh, promised our guys early season that once we get three wins in the road I'm gonna take them to a nice dinner but since we have such a group of humble guys they, they said like we don't need any any fancy place we can go for a pizza but we're gonna negotiate we're gonna go but I'll treat them to dinner for sure so they're going to pizza <laughs> I love this guy uh, the follow-up. Chuck E. Cheese, here we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, did you know, I'm sorry, we talked about Chuck E. Cheese and whether the pizza is good, and you guys were talking about the fights and stuff, and then later that day, our computers are listening to us, I got sent, like, a YouTube clip about a major brawl that happened at a Chuck E. Cheese, and then John Oliver did a whole thing on it, too. Yeah, you, I mean, you're the last person to realize Chuck E. Cheese is where, <laughs> where the action begins. Is that where Cam Newton's hanging out? Like, what <laughs> do they do in the 7-on-7? Seven 7-on-7 seven? <laughs> seven seven in uh, Pizza Hut or Chuck E. Cheese for a round two. It's the freaking Royal Rumble there. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, say that the follow-up is obvious for our favorite head coach. What kind of pizza do you like? Uh, my pizza is uh, only uh, margarita, simple Italian pizza. So pineapple is a no-go? No. Strong no on pineapple, but beautiful Italian accent from Margarita. Yeah. By the way, how are the Toronto? You said they're 22 and 36, and they're three games out of the play. <laughs> I mean, yeah. while the Lakers and the Warriors are like four games over 500 or nine and 10. So it's the East Eastern awful. Ha- I never yeah. even noticed how bad the bottom of the East was. Yeah. Like so, pizza parties. Yeah. I don't know about that pizza. It might weigh you down a little bit. <laughs> something lighter, like a salad. Yeah, it's still my Sixers have no chance in this conference, and the Raptors are going to be in the playoffs. They're not your Sixers anymore. <laughs> well, now his my Pistons. Pistons might have a problem. Um, I guess there's eight acceptable teams in the East. The Magic at 32 and 26. After that is when the nosedive starts. Bulls, three games under. Hawks, seven games under. Nets, 13 under. And then your Raptors. This is a year where, like, they should just not do the play in the East. It's like, you know, we have eight good teams. Yeah. We'll just put those in. You, You guys, you didn't play well enough. You're done. So the NFC is bad compared to the AFC, and the East is bad compared to the West. Is that where we mm-hmm. are, we're at right now? All right, pretty much. <laughs> uh, the Knicks are now even. They lost a game in Houston because of a bad call. Now they win one because of a bad call. Josh Hart scoring with two seconds left for 113-111 win over those Pistons after the refs did not call Dante DiVincenzo for fouling a star. Thompson going for a loose ball right before Hart scored. The officials admitting postgame that they did make a mistake. The Bucks are releasing edge rusher Shaq Barrett for salary cap space. He had a $15 million roster bonus due next month. Duke head coach John Shire says Kyle Filipowski is still sore from Saturday's incident at Wake Forest. Filipowski does not have a diagnosable injury, but his status for tomorrow's game with Louisville remains uncertain. You know, i sorry. I have a theory about why some of these coaches, I think, are jumping on the John Shire ban the court storming stuff because they're logical humans no oh. because uh <laughs> no they're basketball <laughs> coaches <laughs> they care about people they're used car sales <laughs> uh no because it's like you want duke is the team like in your mind right that gets the court stormed on sure. them the most right yep. because you beat duke it's like a big deal so i i think a lot of coaches want to just align themselves like oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we also want to ban court storming it's mm. like no one storms the court when you play 
You know what I'm saying? It's like Absolutely. aligning yourself so, with the blue blood. Yeah, exactly. If, you, if you're, I don't know, Vanderbilt, you're not going to be like, yeah, no <laughs> Guys, court storming here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's enough already with the court storming. It's yeah, like, yeah. nobody asked you, Baylor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> wow, you knocked off Virginia Tech. Congrats. <laughs> I got an idea. Well, Baylor, you might storm the court for. How about we storm the exits instead? No, do it in reverse. Everyone's safe. Everyone leaves. But you can celebrate in the parking lot. There you go. Right into oncoming traffic. It's <laughs> out the door and right into the highway. Not to tear up old wounds, but do you see Jay Billis's idea, which is just... As yes. soon as they get on the court, just say, all right, you are all detained, and we're going to give you all citations yes. yeah. as soon as you step on the court. Can we call this the Bronx Tale? Or the, as soon as you get on, they lock the door and go, now you can't leave, and everyone's going downtown, yeah. and we're going to all get citations. He goes, and then it w- and then this would end tomorrow. No, it wouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> a citation has not ended anything in a the history of American with, To a college law. kid? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think that's going to have the impact Jay Billis thinks it's going to have. Yeah, that's less impactful than the idea of not showing streakers on TV because that has stopped people from running <laughs> oh, on the yeah. field. We never get streakers never anymore because they don't show it on TV. Well, and meanwhile, here was the Super Bowl. I do have an issue, by the way, with, a heavy issue with streakers. I thought about it after the show yesterday. People running and not looking where they're running is a New York City thing. If you're looking at your phone and you walk into something, you deserve whatever happens to you. And that's why I, I was just watching Phil Bassi. They're all running and they're looking at something else going 100 miles an hour and running into Well, each that was other. Caitlin Clark, too. I mean, Yeah, it's just, it's just like, look where you're going, people. Well, I sound old now. <laughs> if, it, if you didn't film it, I mean, did it ever happen? Well, you know what? You deserve to run into a wall and break your nose if that's what happens to you. I'm surprised. <laughs> There's, New York is not the only city in America where it's a lot of walking. So other people are gonna who are listening to us around the country, you're going to have the same thing. Like, I'm surprised more people don't run into poles, doors, manhole covers that have been removed. Like, how, as a society, I'm surprised we don't have more phone-related, yeah. like, distracted walking-related injuries. I feel like, I feel injuries. like we're, 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 uh, we're adapting as humans. This is the next phase of evolution, I guess. I don't know. It's just... Now we know how to walk while uh, not actually looking up. You've seen the numbers on pedestrian up. deaths in New York. You know this, EJ. Yeah. The pedestrian deaths in New York and are not good. What do you say when people, when someone's walking towards you, they're looking in their phone, they're clearly not looking up, and you're like, we're about to... I always go, heads up. You know, you know what I do? Like, I, 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 I walk right at them, and at the last second walk away, and then do like a, you know picture just got thrown up up and in like a guy who just got thrown up and in, like a hitter in the batter's box just kind of give him a stare oh you mm. give him the jeter yeah like, yeah just kind of get out the way and kind of just look like hey you just threw up and in don't do that again <laughs> that that's my that's my move i let it happen <laughs> just, run into the smoke. just let it happen and then i could tell you you're an idiot for being on your phone <laughs> while walking See, and I know that I'm liable to do the same thing the next day, so I'm not mean to anybody. Uh, I just kind of step out of the way and maybe make a noise so they know I'm there. I, I can't. But I'll do that, too. I did it yesterday almost. I, I have a hard time, like, texting and, right and there. walking. Texting and walking. What'd you say? I have a hard time. We understand. <laughs> Period. Full stop. You have a problem with everybody. That's, that's a book. Yeah. But, okay, you have Text a hard time texting and walking. Texting and walking. So, I, like, I wouldn't want to do that anyway. How about Bogish being, like, the mo- only self-aware person here? It's like, no, nah, I do it, too. I Yeah. Yesterday, I almost walked into one of those, uh, like, the in, in New York, the, like, flip-up metal grates that, like, lead yeah. to the underneath of a restaurant. Yep. Almost walked right into one of those. <laughs> oh my those gosh, are, that is bad. Because what I was fell? I was texting and I can't text. Yeah. Like I can't. My thumbs were useless. I was like trying to type out the same word fourth on the fourth time. I was like, oh, that thing is 
very close to me, my periphery vision. Is anyone ever vision. scared, even when those things are yeah. closed? I don't, walk on. I don't want my kids walk on them. Right on. Yep. See, I, I walk on them because I guess maybe I, I, I like to live dangerously. But yeah, then yeah, I always okay. think I'm going to fall in like Scooby-Doo one of these days and <laughs> yep. just go to the Trap end of the door. earth. Because who, who knows where that door goes? I don't <laughs> think any. We think it's the basement of a restaurant, but yeah. I mean, are, are we really sure? Some do have little slides. Do they like slide the supplies down? Yeah. So you oh, yeah. could end up in a cool ride <laughs> when you're down <laughs> into, into the basement. Now we're really getting Scooby-Doo there if I slide down something. Thing. I think you just land in like a bed of like Tomatoes. old cabbage yeah. leaves or something. Yeah. It's like that's why they all stink. Anywho, uh, and there's that, rats here. I think the big accomplishment also is texting while holding a baby. That's another thing. <laughs> like texting while holding a nine month old. Yeah, that, that's a big accomplishment. You have to have fingers like Clayton Kershaw. You know, you got to really be able mm. to grip the phone because like yeah. my phone's too big. Like it's too wide. I basically yeah. walking around with a laptop computer. Do you, just I mean, do you just practice the grips on your phone like pitchers do yeah. in the bullpen? Yeah. Like throwing just, a change up. Yeah. You know, like Clayton will be good April through September. <laughs> and then I, <laughs> October will be tougher. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's I love Clayton Kershaw. Went to high school with Matthew Stafford. You guys know that? We did. I did. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think that's the point. I've never heard that before. I can't stand them. <laughs> can't say Clayton well, Kershaw. Oh, come on. <laughs> Pete. You really don't like Clayton Kershaw? Of course not. He's, He's a, a Dodger. Fan. Who cares? He's a wonderful person oh, and great. a great athlete. Epic athlete. series in 2015 where the Mets kicked their butt. I wish I had five kids just like him. Is there? I, I, <laughs> I really don't like Clayton Kershaw. Is there anybody who's Any not on the butt? Mets that you like? No, he's a pain in the butt against the Mets. Wait, that's a great line. I hope I have five kids just like him. Yeah. That's a line from League of Their Own. That's right. Yeah, very good. <laughs> do you like Ken Griffey? I do. I love Ken Griffey. We all love Ken Senior Griffey. Senior and junior. Who doesn't like Ken Griffey? I mean, Ken Griffey Sr., I'm a little more agnostic on. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a big Reds fan? No I mean, off. he was probably great. I'm more of a Cesar Geronimo guy from the Big Red Machine. Um, Rob Dibble. But wait, anybody who beats the Mets, that doesn't mean you can't, you can't appreciate them well, and be fans of them. That's where we differ. Us, <laughs> us and you. I mean, that's so basically the entire National League. I'm not saying everyone beat the Mets. You can't like anyone else on a National League team because they beat the Mets? You think Hell I'm supposed no. to like Adam Wainwright? Like, yeah. of course not. Well, oh, definitely not. No kid's going to like Adam Wainwright. <laughs> I mean, do I like Greg Maddox? No. Definitely not. One of the worst things about being in this profession has been talking to 90s era Braves, oh, and they're yeah. all awesome. And I want to punch so all the, the crime dog is the nicest oh. guy. How, how about when, uh, when Chase Utley came into the studio, I walked out. I, like, I don't want to like you. <laughs> nope. You're not going to turn me. I don't. But Emmett Smith, I've totally turned. Yeah. Somehow I enjoyed listening to Chip, Chipper Jones saying that he named his kid Shay after Shay Stadium. That's what, you know, I would have done the same thing, Chipper. I we wanted. had him as a mystery guest <laughs> yeah. during the pandemic, and I was like, this guy's a delight. I, Damn it. Fred McGriff. <laughs> I think he transcends because he played on multiple teams. And, and, yeah. and he was on the Tom Amansky video. Yeah. That, that, yeah, Fred McGriff, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's different. Uh, wait, you he guys, taught you how to hit. Andrew Jones? Anyway, Andrew. No Andrew, way. No. Oh, I love that guy. I appreciate it. I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I appreciate his skill, but I know. <laughs> yeah, it was super cool when he got him up 2 nothing in 96 on the Yankees, and then that didn't go well. He let us down. I get it. I hate all the Mets players, except we, Pete Alonso. It's kind of hard to hate. Well, Pete Alonso mm. is a Labrador retriever. As yeah, a it's like a big puppy. Just <laughs> wait, pat him on wait, the back. Do you like Bartolo? Oh, I love Bartolo. Okay, I mean, that's uh, listen. He's I not just care. a Met though. He's yeah. on King Griffey. I think a very tricky one. <laughs> a very tricky <laughs> one is Tom Glavin too. Tom Glavin's well, a Glavin great guy. Was a Nobody is fans of pitchers, guys. Can you name position players, please? Oh, Felix Hernandez is the coolest. <sighs> King Felix. Cool. Uh, he was cool. He won a Cy Young in the team. That was like the first uh, guy who won a Cy Young. Didn't he do a perfect game too? I feel like 
Chicks dig the long ball. Home runs is what sells to kids, not effective pitchers. There's some guys that transcend. Pedro. Some. some. Okay. You know who? That's Shohei. Well, Randy Shohei. Johnson, I think, is awesome. Randy Johnson is mad cool. He had the mullet. <laughs> I was just scared of him. Still. Yeah, yeah. You have to throw about 110 miles an hour to transcend. I mean, Tom Glavin. No one's buying a Glavin jersey who's not a fan. Anyway. Well, I am. And I'll then, never then he gave I'll, seven runs. So. I'll, never, so, I'll, I'll never get Tom Glavin for a game once sh- two that season. Ever. You're so ridiculously old school, people, Adi. It's uh, insane. Well, thank you. You're I like a 1965 a Brooklyn Dodgers fan. I don't understand <laughs> like your that. sports fandom at all. <laughs> yeah. no, You're like people Adi's grandfather. <laughs> yeah, Ken Griffey Sr. Adi, you a Ken Griffey Sr. fan. <laughs> Gary Gell was, too. He was about 90 then. <laughs> this poor dude. I love um, Gary Gell. Yeah. I fall into the bogus category, by the way. I think I'm going to be around Bilotti, hopefully for years to come, and not understand a word of this man. I just don't <laughs> understand. I can't wrap my head around you. I'm old school, I, and I, I will stay that way. That's it. It's just so funny. Like, I'm old school, and my favorite TV show is Alf. Love Alf. <laughs> Love Alf. Yeah. My- you're old school. You weren't even alive when Hall and Oates was at the top of the charts. I'm a and fan of your favorite bit. <laughs> just Oates. Just Hall Oates. can go take a long walk right. off a short beer. Take a walk. Yeah. Hall is a former brave. Take a walk, Hall. <laughs> Hall is a fraud. <laughs> and his hair. Goodbye. Can't imagine what you think about Garfunkel. Oh, I don't like him either. Oh, that's a specific reference, too. Big Simon fan. Mm. Garfunkel's had it. Garfunkel's some... been mean to this time slot. That's right. Yeah. What oh, about, is that what right? About, what about mm-hmm. Ert, uh, Bernie? Or Ert, or Bert, what was it? Susan? Bert and Ernie? Bert, Bert and Ernie. Ernie, yeah. I, said, no. I, I combined them because I think it was a mess. You're talking like human Oscar the Grouch. I know. Bert and Ernie. Burn, baby, burn? <laughs> Bernie Williams? Bernie Williams. <laughs> what do you ever do, do you, you think, guys? What do you think Meanwhile, of him? nice dude. Like really hard to singer. hate Bernie Williams. Hard to root against Bernie Williams. Yeah. I like his guitar playing. I don't like I don't like him as a Yankee. <laughs> I love how Bernie what? Williams, this guy was like, great player, right? Great player. Derek Jeter told us once, he used to wake up, had no idea what city they were in. Thinking after the clubhouse go out, no idea what city. I'm in. Go out. Go three for four. Bernie can give me a good instrumental, but you know what? No, <laughs> oh, get out of here. Great <laughs> guitar. <laughs> terrible glove. Give me Leave a, me alone. A great instrumental <laughs> sounded weirdly sexual. 855-212-4227. Who is writing checks they cannot cash? We'll get to that next. Very fitting. You play Rick James. And we're about to do an uh, update on what's going on with the Buffalo Bills. And that's Deion Dawkins, the left tackle of the Bills, went on something called Vlad TV. I was not aware of Vlad TV's uh, position in the culture. I didn't know this thing existed. And are we better off for it? I'm not sure. Uh, Deion Dawkins, basically like a gossip website. Deion Dawkins of the Bills calling out the Jets, Perloff. I I didn't see this coming. Uh, Let's play cut two first, Pete. says the Jets players don't actually love football. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? 
Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I'm going to just keep it a buck. I hate them. All of them, bro. They are all some, like, when it comes to sports, right, there's people that play the sport because they love the sport, and then there's people that play the sport just to try to be cool. I feel like they play the sport to try to be cool. Like, those are a bunch of dudes that just want to take pictures on Instagram. <laughs> like, that's whack. Like, I play this because I'll die by it. All right. Uh, also ca- calls out Michael Clemens from the Jets specifically. Weirdos being weird. <laughs> Weirdos being weird. You know, I don't even want to get a man no credit talking about him, you know. But number 72. Michael Clemens. Michael Clemens. Yeah. Yeah, boy. Um, <laughs> boy. Okay. Says the altercation with Clemens stemmed from Josh Allen uh, trash talk. TV timeout. Clemens is talking to us, really talking at 17. And first of all, why are you talking to my quarterback? Don't talk to my quarterback. Stay over there. Don't say nothing to none of my guys. Just stay over there, son. Like, don't talk to 17. I'm really serious about that. Don't talk to him. Don't say nothing to him at all, right? He's my Chris Myrick. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to defend him by any means, right? So while I love this as a fan of the Bills, you want your left tackle and your offensive line to stick up for your quarterback. But when Deion Dawkins does interviews like this and he calls out the Jets, which, by the way, why are you calling out the Jets? This is They're already a pain in the butt to play. You split with them the last couple of years. Don't, don't be focused on the Jets and even give them the light of day. Don't, don't let them know they live rent-free in your head. But you do stuff like this. Sean McDermott the other day said it's not a matter of uh, – when the Bills will win a Super Bowl, or if it will be when. Sean McDermott says stuff. Deion Dawkins says stuff. It all comes back on Josh Allen. They write checks that he has to cash. And that's what I hate about this, because Deion Dawkins is going to get attention for this interview and calling out the Jets. Sean McDermott's going to get attention because he said they're going to win a Super Bowl one day, and yet all of it doesn't come back on McDermott or Deion Dawkins. It comes back on Josh Allen. But how, what, what do you mean? In what sense? What real-world sense is this going to come back? Some random comment in February from Deion Dawkins about a player no one's ever even heard of. No, it's about Josh Allen, the pressure. Josh Allen, the legacy. Josh Allen in this era with Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. All and that's Justin there Hurt. with or without him talking, though. Why is this going to impact Josh Allen? I I think that it all like there it already will be only remembered this era of Bills football will be remembered as success or failure in many people's eyes whether or not Josh Allen wins a Super Bowl not Sean McDermott and right. not Deion Dawkins right but so why does Deion Dawkins talking trash I don't think anyone's gonna even remember this by September well I'm just saying they'll remember it when they play the Jets and that's probably the season opener if the things have been going the way they've been going the last couple of years. I would hope that the Jets and Bills are going all out against each other anyway. And then you know they are. It seems like they hate each other. They definitely do. Uh, thank you, EJ Stewart. Thank you to Pete Pilotti, two Jet fans over there. Thank you to Andrew Bogish. Thank you to Rami Levy. And thank you to Colton Gesser. Thank you to Matthew Hamachek. Thank you to the great Peter King. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.